you have your Bibles with you, we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 26. Galatians 5, verse 13 to 26. And if you're using the Pew Bibles in front of you, that's page 1172. So here Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another. So you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those of you who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. I'm going to pray for Clive as he comes to, to bring God's word this morning. Father, thank you this man, and, and I pray as he speaks to us that, um, that we will recognize that this is an event in which we hope to hear you. Will you speak to us this morning? Give us a new revelation of, of your glory, Jesus, and give us a sign of takeaway that we can practice this during the week for your glory. Amen. Good to see everybody today few people on holiday, I guess. It's half term. I wonder if you've noticed this lovely thing here. Come and have a, have a touch of it. It's very tactile. It's very tactile. I asked at the uh, elders gathering on Thursday before church council if anybody knew what it was made of while it was still wrapped up. And uh, uh, I guess it took a missionary. Aaron Beecher got it. It's made from tree bark. It's really tactile. And uh, if you come and have a feel of it, it's just a beautiful thing. And it was given to us by Alison and David Chu, our missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And uh, I'm coveting it. Now, I've got the coffee and the, the calendar that was for me. I don't have to covet that. They're mine. They're at home already. But I'm really coveting this. But I promise you I won't take it. This belongs to the church. But just before we go any further, it's not our text for this morning. But I'm a person who finds it really hard to be still sometimes. Anyone else? find it really hard to be still and know that God's on my side and God's there and God's doing all that is necessary. And when I speak about, uh, about having the character of Christ in our lives, I think that's one of the most challenging things I can speak about because the great apostle John in his first epistle said, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to walk like Jesus. Now, I didn't mean you've got to walk the way Jesus walked. And Jesus definitely didn't walk like that, by the way. You've got to live like Jesus. 
And that's what this is about this morning. So most of us have never seen Jesus or had a vision of Jesus, like Paul, the great apostle that wrote this. But I think you've seen some people, a man or a woman, old or young, in whom you've caught a glimpse of Jesus. Close your eyes with me for a minute. And think of someone, I have no idea who it might be, but the Holy Spirit is going to help you. Actually, whether you're a Christian or not. Because God brought you here today. And as your eyes are closed, go back to a moment where you just felt so much love and kindness. Someone was so patient and gracious and gentle with you. Someone was just there for you. And you caught a glimpse of Jesus in that person's life. You knew that there was something about them because they believed in a heavenly father who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that there's something about their life that reflected him. Are you thinking about them? Now, whether they're still alive or not, whether on this earth or in that great cloud of witnesses in heaven, ask God to bless them. Just ask God to bless them. Father, we commit all of these people into your loving hands. Whether they're literally with you face to face in that great heavenly host, that cloud of witnesses that surrounds the throne, or whether they're still here on this planet, Earth, we ask, Lord, for blessing. And if they're already with you, they have more blessing than we can ever imagine already. Hear our prayers for them. Amen. As we get into this series, week two, can I just firstly encourage you to take one of these little cards. I'm sure our welcomers have given you them, but they're also in the pews. But make sure you get one with all the messages on. Last week, we looked at simply making a difference where you are. That's what it means to be fruitful on your front line, to make a difference for God right where you are, to make a difference in the life of a neighbor that you're called to love, as well as God, right where you are. And absolutely crucial to that is what we come to this week when we look at modeling godly character. And we said that what we're going to be doing after week one last week is looking at M7, seven M questions. Are you, am I, am I modeling godly character? Is the fruit of the Spirit love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The character of Christ, godly character, is that evident in my life? Am I modeling it to others, like those people you just thought of, that we prayed for? Am I making good work? Am I just doing a good job for the people who employ me and for God himself? Am I ministering grace and love? Am I molding the culture around me? Am I being... Salt and light, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, savoring the culture, changing the culture, shining light into dark places. Am I being a mouthpiece for truth and justice? Yeah, even at work where someone gets a rough deal, do I speak out and stick up for them? Am I a messenger of the gospel? When someone asks me a reason for the hope that I've got, when I've set aside Jesus Christ as Lord of my life and somebody catches that glimpse and says, what is it about you that's different? Or why do you go to church on a Sunday? Why waste your time like that? 
Do I take that opportunity with respect and gentleness and love to meet the person where they're at and be a messenger of the gospel? And am I, bottom line, whether in partnership with my church or my small group or the prayer triplet that I'm in or just on my own, am I making other disciples as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because this is where we're going as a church. If you're part of this church, we're heading towards what we've always sought to do, but we're making a really clear emphasis on this. We want to be a church that equips whole life disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we come to this first M question, am I modeling godly character? As we come to this and look at this text, Galatians 5, 13 to 26, let me give you a little bit of background because these Galatians were known to Paul. He knew them. He understood them. And he knew that what was happening to this church in Galatea and this region and all the churches that met in homes that would gather to hear the reading of this epistle, which is a letter from this apostle, which means one who is sent from Jesus Christ. He was telling them, watch out, there's people who are sneaking amongst you who are saying that the gospel of Jesus and Jesus, it's not just enough. He's not enough. You've got to be not only a Christian, but you've got to be a Jewish Christian. You've got to be circumcised. I'll tell you, he didn't like it. He goes that far. If you check the letter, he says, I wish those who want you circumcised would go the whole way and castrate themselves. Woo! That's a bit heavy, isn't it? Well, it's heavy stuff. It's heresy, and he's speaking against it. And he says, don't get into any of this early form of this Gnostic teaching that you've got to have some extra special revelation from angels or whatever. Basically, what he's saying is, He's saying it's all about Jesus, and it's Jesus that sets you free. And it's not about religion. It's not about having a yoke of bondage, whether Jewish religion or any other religion, on your shoulders, because the cross of Christ has set you free. It's about just loving Jesus and walking with Jesus and becoming more like Jesus and doing what Jesus wants you to do in your life. That's the background. It's one of the earliest epistles in the New Testament that Paul has given us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So let's look first of all at Paul's challenge. Paul's challenge is a challenge to be fruitful through Christ-like character. It's as simple as that. Elsewhere, in another of his epistles, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, he tells Christians in Philippi, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So Paul says our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. John the Apostle said we should walk as Jesus walked, but not like that, okay? You've got to live like Jesus, walk like Jesus, and your attitude's got to be the same as Jesus. But what does he say here? Well, let's look at verses 13 to 18. I'll read them again, and then we'll unpack them. Galatians 5, 13 to 18. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law, all of the Jewish scripture, is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He knows that they know the first and greatest commandment is to love God and that Jesus summed it up this way. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your strength. But he also knew that Jesus said this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds, if you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. That's hard language, isn't it? Biting and devouring each other. Whoa, that is tough. What he's saying for uh, really here is that he wants them to have freedom from the law and freedom from sin. 
Freedom from the law and freedom from sin. He wants them to have liberty, not to get into biting, devouring arguments about what they believe, but to have freedom and liberty. Listen to the very first verse of chapter 5, before our reading today. He says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He knows that Jesus taught, John. we have it in John 8, 36, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed, is something he says. And then he says, stand firm then and don't yet let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't let them put a yoke of religion that you must do this and you must do that to love God and you must do the other. No, it's about liberty. It's about freedom. It's not about slavery. Otherwise, you'll end up with a yoke of slavery on you, which we've read about in verses 13 to 15. Now, this language of biting and devouring each other, it's heavy language, isn't it? He's writing to the sheep of the good shepherd's flock. Now, let me tell you, I'm a pastor, just like Ross. We're pastors. We have that privilege in this church. And pastor just means shepherd, okay? So I'm an under-shepherd, like Ross, of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And you are the beloved flock of Jesus. You are the sheep of his pasture. You're the ones that follow his voice. You'll recognize his voice and follow him, Jesus said. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. I'm just an under-shepherd, okay? But let me tell you, I've had the joy of loving a church for um, about 14 years or more as its pastor, 17 years in total in Christ Church, then for almost eight years in Andover, and now I've had one year to love this church. And trust me, you are loved. But I can tell you, I can guarantee that in the Christchurch church and the Andover church in Hampshire, and even in this church, though, I don't feel it's happened yet, sometimes sheep turn carnivorous on the shepherd. They bite and devour the shepherd. Now, you'd never do that to me or Ross, would you? Of course. But when the sheep who are herbivorous turn carnivorous, let me tell you, it hurts, but let me tell you something else. If you do put up with me for the next five years, and after playing a full game of tennis yesterday, that's a possibility. More about that later. There's likely to be a time when I might say something or do something that hurts one of you. I would never want to, ever. But I'm human. And there's a conflict, as we'll see, that goes on with the flesh or the whatever. So if you slip up to me and... uh, you are really upset about something that's happened or there wasn't enough of this or there was too much of that in a worship service or something along those lines. When I am, from my heart, pouring my life out to try and honor God and honor his people and release people into ministry, and I'm pouring my life out, and if you pop up and say, the church has got this wrong and the church has got that wrong, let me tell you, I will probably go, ouch. I will probably feel that you are waving a red flag at me And if, like a bull, I charge, please forgive me. (laughs) But we're human. And what God wants for us is not to bite and devour each other. He wants, here it is, life in the Spirit. Look at verses 16 to 17 again. I say, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You won't even charge when a red rag is waved at you. For the sinful nature desires what is in contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is in contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. Now, 
some of you are thinking, I've heard Paul write that elsewhere. This is a very early letter. A later letter is Romans. Have you read chapter 7 of Romans recently where Paul says, why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? And the thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. Why do I do it? It's this flesh. Who will rescue me from this body of flesh? And then he goes, oh, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let me just check. Anyone out there other than me ever wondered, why on earth did I do that? Yeah? Anyone ever wondered, why did those words slip out of my life? Hi, Andy, good to see you. Why did th- that wasn't the words that, you know. Why did those words, why did I say that? Why did I think that? You know, one of my most favorite prayers, I learned it from a Methodist school chaplain, was this. Lord, help me to be the man that in my very best moments I long to be. Help us to be the people that in our very best moments we long to be. I've added a little bit with respect to that man who's now with the Lord, and it's this. Help us to be the men and women that in our best moments we long to be, and by your grace and mercy we may be. You see, we do and say the things we don't want to do. Even the great Apostle Paul did that. Can you, can you name the one human being that has never, ever done the thing they didn't want to do and they always did what they wanted, that what their father showed them he wanted them to do? Who was that? Jesus. Fully human and fully God. But Jesus left, led this perfect life in the Spirit. Jesus led this perfect life as the Son of God and God the Son. But Paul, under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit says, you must live this life in the Spirit, but there will be a conflict between your flesh, your earthly nature, because you're still dragging that round with you. And then he goes on to give us a hint. You should be led by the Spirit, because you're not under law. Listen to verse 18. He says that these two things are in conflict with each other, the flesh and the Spirit, but, verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Wow. That does mean led to do, say, and think the things that in your best moments you'd want to do, say, and think. It's also an exciting adventure because sometimes when you're led by the Spirit, like last Sunday morning, if you remember, I said, the Lord is laying upon my heart. There's a student here. There's somebody in your family, I think, that you are very concerned about and they're a a distance away and you don't know what to do or how to pray. I'm delighted to tell you to give glory to God. Do not misunderstand me that that was a leading of the Spirit because that student came up to me straight afterwards and we were able to pray for him and for that person who's in a different country. Isn't God awesome? You see, prophecy and word of knowledge and wisdom and revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make me clever if I'm open to that. It makes me obedient, but it doesn't make me clever. It just makes God awesome. So being led by the Spirit is, in a sense, what it's about. Do you know, you get people in church sometimes, uh, I've tried to think hard uh, um, about names that wouldn't link up and make you uncomfortable. So I'm going to call them Billy and Brenda. Have we got any Billys or Brendas here today? If you're called Billy or Brenda, please, oh great, there's no one called Billy or Brenda here. Good, good. Because, you know, in church sometimes there's someone, uh, and someone says about them, when they bite or devour someone, oh, oh, that's just Billy. So he is. God loves him and we love him really, but over the years, it's just Billy. You'll get to know it. Oh, oh, that's just Brenda. Yeah, she treads on a few toes. She rubs a few people up the wrong way, but that's just Brenda. Have you heard that kind of stuff said in church? It's not right. 
It's not just Billy or Brenda. Billy or Brenda are made in the image of God and God loves them. But Colossians tells us we don't just love and forbear and be patient like we're reading about also here in Galatians. It says you've got to admonish each other. Ephesians said you've got to speak the truth to each other in love. So the next time Billy or Brenda is like that, you take them aside one-on-one with as much love as you can prayerfully muster and you say, Billy, you know I love you. You know God loves you and you know this church loves you but Billy why do you do that or Brenda Brenda why why sometimes do you do and say things that completely unlike the way you are God loves you but you hurt people Brenda are you with me so if Ross or Clive bite or devour you've got the right in love privately to tell us Because we are not slaves to our genes. I love this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get there. But the University of Plymouth, with the chaplaincy, do something called Christians in Science. And at their second annual Dallinger Lecture, Dr. Dennis Alexander of Cambridge University, who is the Emeritus Director of the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion, all say, ooh, that's not all of you, but never mind. He is speaking at 7.30 on Friday the 4th of November addressing this issue. Are we slaves to our genes? Now I know a little bit about this. Every one of you in every cell of your body apart from the red blood cells which don't have a nucleus have in the nucleus of every cell of your body something called deoxyribonucleic acid but you can call it DNA for short. On that are your genes. The genome has got all the information chemically to turn you from one cell which you started out into the magnificent, handsome and intelligent, beautiful human being you are now. Okay? And therefore a lot is determined by your genes, but here's a short version, and I'm not a Cambridge University Don, the short version is no, you are not a slave to your genes. Billy and Brenda are not stuck that way. The Holy Spirit of Jesus can change them. Amen. Okay. And I'll take, a, I'll take a fiver for the plug from Katie Van Santen for the lecture later. Just joking, just joking. You see, when we look at what it means to be fruitful and live like Jesus, in this text Paul helps us enormously. Because what he does is he compares bad fruit and good fruit. That's what he does. He compares bad fruit and good fruit. And then he tells us how how that fruit is produced in our lives. So let's look first of all at the bad fruit. And let me give you a definition of the bad fruit. It is non-spiritual self-gratification. Can you just say that to the person next to you? Bad fruit is non-spiritual self-gratification. Try saying that to the person next to you. Okay. Now to try and give you an indication, who's ever gone to that punnet of strawberries that you bought at Wimbledon and then left in the fridge for three weeks and forgot about, or you've gone to your fruit bowl and it all looks good and you lift out a strawberry or you lift out an apple or something like that, and when you lift it out and look at it, just as you're about to put it into your mouth, the other side is covered in mold, decay, rot, and you go, oh no, and unless you're a Yorkshireman, in which case you scrape it off and eat it anyway... (laughs) You wouldn't touch it with a barge pole because it's bad fruit. Now, we are told that fruit is good for us, but bad fruit isn't necessarily good for us. And bad fruit is non-spiritual self-gratification. It's covered in verses 19 to 21. Bad fruit are acts of the sinful nature. 
Look at verse 19, because Paul says they're obvious. He says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Bad fruit is obvious. Wrong behaviors are obvious. When the flesh kicks in, when it's all about gratifying me and selfishness, in a non-spiritual way, that's bad fruit. Okay? Living for ourselves is bad is going to produce bad fruit living for ourselves rather than living for others is going to produce bad fruit so i don't want to make a false separation here someone helpfully after last sunday evening when i preached the same message someone helpfully said were you splitting the, the fruit of the spirit up i've never seen that done let me explain why no i'm not and in a way yes i am first of all this is one fruit of the spirit in nine flavors the fruit of the spirit is produced in your life It's one fruit. It's the fruit of God living in you by His Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus living in your life. Changing you, transforming you. Changing me, transforming me. And there's nine flavors of that one fruit. Just as the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, so when we live for ourselves, we produce bad fruit. But when we live for God and others, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're likely to produce good fruit. Listen, first of all, to the bad fruit, and then we'll go on to the good fruit. The bad fruit. Tick them off if these are in your life. Okay? You won't like some of them. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Debauchery. Idolatry. Witchcraft and hatred. I'm pretty confident that most of you are going to say, none of those, or not since I found God's love for me. None of those. Or I might be wrestling with some of them, but Jesus has given me strength. But when I go on to these other ones, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like, and maybe not the last one, but some of those others, jealousy and stuff like that, selfish ambition... Too easily comes to us. Bad fruit acts the sinful nature, living for ourselves rather than living for others. That's a bad fruit. Let's let's look at the good fruit in a little while, but let's stick with the bad fruit for now because Paul gives a tremendously challenging warning in verse 21. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, They've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. But, uh, sorry, forgive me, let me read verse 21. I've gone on a bit there. He talks about envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And then he gives this warning that if you don't crucify those things, he's warning them again as he did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You'll You'll not be with Jesus in heaven. You'll not be in the new heaven and the new earth. How can that be? Clive, are you suggesting that a Christian can lose their salvation? I remember reading a book by David Pawson that simply had the title, Once Saved, Always Saved. In other words, once you've come to Jesus, once you put your hand into the hand of God, nobody can snatch you out of God's hand. And I read at the same time, and alongside a book by... um, Sorry, that was by R.T. Kendall. David Pawson wrote, Once Saved, Always Saved, question mark. So R.T. Kendall, once saved, always saved. Full stop. 
David Pawson, once saved, always saved, question mark. If you want it in a nutshell, theologically, you've got R.T. Kendall, who is a Calvinist, and you've got David Pawson, who's an Arminian. Arminians believe you can come to Jesus, but then fall away from him and lose your salvation. And if you want to know which one is absolutely right, have a word with Ross afterwards. <laughs> the Lord leaves these things in, in holy tension. And this is, I'll give you honestly where I'm at. I'm, I guess I'm a Calvinist, but not one of those strict five points, if you know about that in a, in a sense. Because the Calvinist position is this. If you've truly been born of the Spirit, you can't be unborn of the Spirit. If you're sealed with the Spirit, you can't be unsealed. Once you've come into the hand of the Son and through Him into the hand of the Father, you belong to God and He'll never let go. And I believe that. Amen. And as a pastor, you should be glad I believe that. Because when you're in your worst moment and you've wandered, I'll be there telling you He hasn't stopped loving you. But I want to preach the gospel like an Arminian. Because I want to say to you, you did what? You're uncomfortable, sorry. You said what? You thought what? Are you even saved? He's a lovely Christian. But here's the thing. There's times when we need the challenge. Am I really a Christian? How could I do that? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And it brings us back. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But Paul makes the warning clear. Let's go on to the good fruit. The good fruit basically is about spirit-led lifestyles. Spirit-led lifestyles. And the first thing that we find out with this fruit in nine flavors is I don't want to make a false split, but I'm going to give you these two first points. If we say the first three are about Christ-like character towards and from Father God himself, and then the other six are about Christ-like character towards the other men and women and them towards us. I don't want to make a false split because you can't do the last six unless the first three are in evidence in a sense. And I don't want to separate them. There's one fruit of the Spirit, nine flavors. But when God fills your life, love and joy and peace overflow. Amen? I mean, I, you know, if you think I'm bad now, when I first came to Jesus at the age of 32, having been a scientific atheist for my first 32 years, I was unbearable. Cheesy wasn't in it. I'd stop people in the street and tell them how much God loved them. Maybe I shouldn't have stopped doing that. If God ever tells me, I'll still do it. But you know what I mean? You met one of those people who seem to be floating, three foot above the floor. Do, do, do. I'm doing that again. Why am I doing that? <laughs> You know those people who've got, almost got a halo? You, you check. You think, those people maybe were talking about before, but it's a bit OTT. But the thing is, when the love and joy and peace of God fills you as Jesus comes into you, when you're born again of the Spirit, you demonstrate that Christ-like character towards your Father because when your Father looks at you, He sees you and loves you, but He sees His Son too. And then that love, joy, and peace can overflow into the lives of others towards men and women. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, you need another human being to show patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control to. Of course you're demonstrating that to Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit who lives in you if you're a Christian. But you need another person to test your patience so it might grow. Are you with me? 
Who's been cut up in a car recently by a really bad driver? Could have caused a terrible accident. Now when that happened, did you do the godly thing? And did you give them the blessing? Oh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or did you give them a completely different kind of sign? And if you did, we don't want to know, thank you. Because at best, it might have been that. And at worst, I'm not going to do the others. But you know what I mean. Have you ever received a sign not of blessing? Oh, yes. We have the chance to produce Christ-like character as we go through these times of testing. And Paul says there's no law against this. What this is, is cruciform character. There's a new phrase for you. Just as that cross made out of a Christmas tree to remind us at Easter that God sent his son into the world with one main purpose, to die upon that cross and, hallelujah, be resurrected. My character needs to be cross-shaped, cruciform. Are you with me? I need to die to self, even when the sheep turn carnivorous. Cruciform character. Listen to verse 24 of Ephesians 5. It's absolutely beautiful. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Yes, Lord, but I still get it wrong. Yes, but if you are living a spirit-led lifestyle, you'll get it wrong less. This is the how. This is the how, folks. How can we produce good fruit? Through a spirit-led lifestyle. And that's about much more than being able to speak in tongues. How many of you have the gift of other languages that you never learn? Don't, don't put your hand up out of spiritual pride, just factually. See, there are people here that have that gift. It's supernatural. It's amazing. And if you want that gift and you're longing for that gift, we'll help you. We'll pray for you to ask a sovereign God if he wants to give you that gift. But that's not the only thing that makes us spiritual. Neither is having a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or being able to heal the sick or cast out demons. And by God's grace, the Spirit has led me into all of those things. But the way I am as a daddy, the way I am as a husband, the way I am as your friend, the way I am as your pastor, that's where you find out whether I'm led by the Spirit. Are you with me? Because if that fruit's not in my life, forget it. I can be as do-do-do-do as I want, and it's not cutting it. Hold it together, Ross, on the front row. Spirit-led lifestyles. What does it look like? It looks like Jesus. How does it happen? Verse 25 to 26. I'm drawing to an end, but I'm not there yet. Verse 25 to 26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Because it's about spirit-led lifestyles, not non-spiritual self-gratification. Live by the Spirit, verse 25. Keep in step with the Spirit, verse 26. No conceit, no provocation, no envying. Now, when you've, when you've said the things to a, a man and a brother in Christ like I have, you've got to give him a chance to show what a great guy he is, haven't you? So, my friend and brother will be, for the sake of this illustration, the Holy Spirit. All he has to do is take a walk over there, turn to his right, walk back here and lead us back to the pulpit. Because I'm going to try and be Clive, a disciple who is keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Is that all right? So just turn around, put your left leg forward, 
Listen at me telling the Holy Spirit what to do. <laughs> Not yet. Walk slowly. Off we go. Now, this might be embarrassing for him, <laughs> but could you give him a round of applause? <laughs> because although my brother's embarrassed, he's got to forgive me because that's the fruit of the Spirit and the character of Christ. And you will never forget the silly demonstration, but whether you wear a band that says, what would Jesus do? Or whether you say, Lord, just lead me today. Lord, I'm going into a meeting at work, and you know that's going to be a challenging meeting for me. I want to show your grace and your love. Lord, I'm running a whole organization of missionaries, four or five hundred of them, and sometimes they'll, they'll take the rip out of me for what I wear. Show me how to love them. Whatever your situation, you can illustrate challenging moments Listen to what Mark Green in this book, which I passionately commend, and Mike's got loads of copies. Mike and Lynn have got these for you downstairs if you want them. Mark Green has written Fruitfulness on the Front Line, Making a Difference Where You Are. And he says about this very text, this, he calls it spirited living. He says, modeling godly character is letting the life of Christ flow in and through us. It's about exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in tough times, as well as in easy times. Indeed, the fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes about in Galatians, is a daunting list, particularly if we remember that Paul was writing to people who were for the most part poor people without the health service most of whose children would die before the age of five people who were under the social pressure that comes from following such a different path Jesus from pretty much everyone else following Caesar that was then and of course in some parts of the world much of it still applies but whatever our your situation living out love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control on my front line is pretty challenging. Yes? So let me tell you about a wonderful experience I had yesterday on a tennis court. I'm glad to be alive, you know that, but I hadn't done any vigorous exercise other than power walking, hard walking. The first time I run, for those of you who didn't know, I've got a scar here that shows you've had an operation. And I had a game of tennis with Ross yesterday. And I needed all of that patience and self-control because he's 27, he's young, he's fit, he's a talented sportsman. I'm 61 years old. So we go on this tennis court and the sun's shining, we're having a great time, we have a knock-up. When we get going, he's got this natural capacity, when I go to the net, to lob the ball over me into the back corner of the court. When I chased there and didn't usually get it, but when I did, then what he does is he drops the ball with a drop shot just over the net. And I've got to run to the front of the court. And I needed the grace of God and I needed the patience, self-control, not to show how angry I was with my fellow pastor. If you want to know the outcome of the result, he'll tell you later. Ross. I told him I wasn't going to say this because then I wouldn't demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit because I'd lack humility. I promised myself I would not tell anyone that I won in straight set 7-5-6-1. And now you've, see, he's tested me and I've failed. Lord, who will rescue me from this? Let me get to the close. I'm going to sum up for you. Then Andy and the band are going to come back. I'm going to go very quickly through this. Modeling godly character is about showing Christ-like character. 
It's a radically different vision of what it means to be truly human. A radically different vision of what it means to be truly human. To be truly human is to be more like Jesus every day. It's a radically different set of community values. It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. In John 15, 9 to 17, Jesus says that his greatest commandment is this, love each other. Love each other. That's there in the fruit of the Spirit. It's a radical work of the Spirit as we're tested, like I was on that tennis court. And as we develop on our front lines, God will help us to be fruitful as the Spirit leads us. And finally, it's this. It's a radical remodeling of our whole character, which is being counter-culturally transformed. To be more like Jesus. Let's pray. Let's just be quiet. I've really appreciated all the song choices this morning. And Andy mentioned to us that there were two that we sang that were more or less prayers. The one they're going to lead us in now is just that, it's a prayer. So I want you to think of the bad fruit that might have been in your life. And I want you to leave that bad fruit at the foot of the cross because God loves you. And I want you to seek God that there might be good fruit in your life, that you might model godly character wherever you find yourself. And I promise you, the only way I can do that, the only way we can do that, is to become more like Jesus and allow the Spirit of Jesus to transform us. Father, may this be our desire. May this be our experience. Please make us the men and women who in our best moments we long to be. And by your grace we may be. Amen.